Good to be with you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to pray and seek your face. And Lord, we thank you that in whatever the season is, 25 years ago when Calvary began, we didn't know where we were going to meet from week to week sometimes, and yet you always provided. Lord, we thank you that your provision is there today, 25 years later. You've never failed us. We failed you many times, but Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, who you are, and these seasons that give us opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord. We praise you. Let this word do its good work in our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Say amen from wherever you are this morning with me. Let me sense you in the spirit this morning that you're with me. As we go to the word of the Lord, a good coach once said, the key to winning is to keep doing the basics well. And that's the point of the opening scene in Joshua. God's people are about to go into the promised land, but the basics of what it means to walk with God never change. Not then, not now. In our lives, we go through multiple seasons. Maybe it's being a student, a new marriage, having kids, building a career, being single, single again, or widowed, retiring, headed into vocational ministry, or dealing with some virus. The arenas change, but not the basics. Sometimes we feel like the pressure will swallow us up. Can we make it? But God always lets us know the basics are the same. We begin in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. A little context here. We're 40 years after Moses, God allowed Moses to lead the children out of Egypt. They've wandered. Now the time has come for them to cross Jordan into the promised land. And uh, now the manna has not fallen from heaven anymore. The blessings of God remain, but they got to go to work. And Joshua, if you remember, was one of the 12 spies sent out to spy on the land. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, yeah, the giants are big, but our God is bigger. The other 10 did not agree. We don't remember their names because cowards are usually not remembered and because they had strange names. One of the names of the other spies was, was Shofat. Shofat. Parents, do not name your son Shofat. If you do, it's going to be a tough middle school for him, and he probably will be at the prom by himself. Then in verse 3, we pick up, I promise you what I promised Moses. Whatever, wherever you set foot, you will be on land, and I, I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. You know, many of us have been told lies about how to have confidence. It's really to have confidence is only, we can only have it really in Jesus and his power working in us is the only true confidence that we can have in this life. 
Joshua says in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. In other words, Joshua is saying in today's language in our Western culture, know your Bible. Know what the Word of God says. Joshua's first major challenge in taking the promised land is Jericho. He comes against this fortified city, the most fortified city in the world at that time. Its walls were so thick that you could ride two chariots on top of the walls side by side. The scene in Joshua 5 takes place on the eve of that battle. On the eve of the battle of Jericho, as you could imagine, Joshua is pretty nervous. War is intimate. And this is Joshua's first true moment of leadership. Understandably, he's maybe having trouble sleeping. And so he goes outside to take a walk, to pray, to settle himself. And we read in verse 13, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Now we can acknowledge right here that Joshua is certainly a man's man. I mean, he's right by the enemy wall when he encounters this strange man in the dark with his sword drawn. Many of us would have hightailed it out of there. I mean, he's, you know, right there with the guy's sword drawn, and uh, Joshua doesn't leave. Joshua goes right over and challenges the guy to a fight. You know, some people wear Superman pajamas. Superman wore Joshua pajamas. Can you imagine? Joshua went to him and said, are you friend or foe? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, neither one, he replied. Neither one means this. You're asking the wrong questions. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Are you getting the scene here as Joshua is the night before war is intimate and they're about ready to march into Jericho and seize this city? Joshua takes this walk. Here is this guy with sword drawn. And and these things are happening here. Joshua says, are you on my side? Are you on their side? And... uh, we, we realize that the question really is not, am I on your side, Joshua? But the question is, are you on my side? This guy is, that's really the question. Are you on my side? I'm not coming as the lieutenant, this guy says. This strange man, I come as the general. And Joshua falls to the ground in respect and says, I'm, I'm at your command. What do you want me to do? And verse 15, we pick up, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now the question here becomes, who is it that Joshua is standing before or is kneeling before? Who is this? It cannot be an angel because it says that Joshua worshiped him. Angels never let you worship them. Revelations 22.9, John falls down to worship an angel, and the angel gets upset. Joshua, however, falls on his face, and this commander does not say, Joshua, get up. 
Let me, let, me, let me just tell you who it is. This is an Old Testament appearance of pre-nativity Jesus. He's always the commander-in-chief. What he demands is surrender because this is not a battle that Joshua is going to fight for Jesus. This is a battle Jesus is going to fight for Joshua. And by the way, after they crossed Jordan, and I, I kind of skipped over this part, but I'm going to just touch it for a moment. Right after they crossed Jordan, before they got to Jericho, God told Joshua to have all the males circumcised. Why would you put your soldiers in a very vulnerable position before the enemy just as they crossed Jordan? And the answer is to show them that safety and victory was in the Lord's hands. Back to our story, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho its king, and all its strong warriors. Then God proceeds to give them instructions on how to take Jericho. But the instructions are so odd, so weird. They're all amped up for a fight, but God tells them, I want you to put the ark in front of you and march around the city in silence. Once a day for six days, march around the city in silence. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, shout. God says, I'll take care of the rest. Now, this is strange. They're ready for a fight. And Joshua is itching to prove himself as their new leader. Imagine if this happened on a football game. On offense, don't run a play. I want you guys, as you're out there on the field, do not run a play. Stand together, hold hands, and sing Silent Night. <laughs> Wouldn't that seem strange? How hard this must have been for Joshua. God says, do what I've asked you to do. I've got this. Then God says in verse 18, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Now there's an important detail. We'll talk about it in a moment. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. Verse 21, they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Now, some people reading this ask, was this a divinely ordered genocide? The answer to that question is knowing that the right or wrong of certain actions is based on whose authority stands behind them. If you started writing checks on behalf of your company, that could be right or wrong based on whether or not you have the authority. When it comes to life and death, no one has the kind of authority that God has. God gave it for a special time to Israel with instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to never, never again that this would be repeated. They were not even allowed to keep a standing army as other nations did. God does most of their fighting. He knocks over the walls. This is his work. 
This action by God was judgment on Canaan. God had said very clearly that the Canaanites were being judged because of their evil. Now before you, before you consider how could God do that, this is, these kinds of passages is where people question God and his authority and, and his justice and his mercy and what's going on here. And let, let me just take a moment with this before we get into the very practical part of this teaching today and how this should minister to our hearts and lives here today. The Bible and history tells us there were, they were some, the, the Canaanites were some of the most oppressive people oppressive society to ever walk the face of the earth, even sacrificing their own children in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31. This had nothing to do with race. Two ways we know that. First, God spares Rahab, a Jericho woman, because she repents and believes. The implication is that he would have spared anyone in Jericho who repented and believed. They all knew about it, but only she responded. Second, God told Israel repeatedly in Deuteronomy that these same things would happen to them and worse if they committed the idolatry and wickedness of the Canaanites. You might be thinking, what about the innocent people and what about the children? How could this happen to them? But we must all recognize there's a communal dimension to sin. If I abused Kathy in any way in our marriage, our children would suffer for that. These children are suffering for the choices of their parents, their city, their nation, their society of people, just like our children do. But God also says in his word that he'll never ultimately hold the innocent accountable for the sins of the guilty. From God's perspective, eternity will more than make up for whatever suffering any of us go through here on earth, Ezekiel 18.20. In the story, we learn that Achan of the tribe of Judah, this man took some things from the plunder that were to be reserved for God's treasury. In other words, when, when the people fought Jericho by marching around and God did the fighting and the walls came down, and they were able to take all of the plunder, all of the gold, all of the valuables, and they were to put it all into God's treasury. Achan, this man from, of, of the tribe of Judah, reserved some of it for himself in secret. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua didn't know what was going on with Achan yet. And Joshua sends spies now from Jericho to Ai, the next city, past Jericho, the next city over to, to conquer that city. And we see in Joshua, as we turn the page to chapter 7, verse 3, when they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors from Israel were sent but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. What happened? Why had the power of God left them suddenly? And God reveals to Joshua, in prayer, what Achan had done. 
This problem had to be taken care of before God's presence and God's power would return. Achan had quit depending on God to meet his needs and took matters into his own hands. Don't, we, we are capable of doing that sometimes. We quit depending on the Lord when the struggle gets difficult and we're not sure what to do and we try to grasp and be our own God. When we see opportunities there, instead of walking in obedience to the Lord, sometimes we yield to the arm of the flesh. We begin to yield to our own desires and our abilities instead of trusting the Lord. Achan takes matters into his own hands by taking something that belonged to God. And it cost him his family, his life. Everything that he had was burned up and destroyed. Let me just say that whatever season of life you might be in, college, high school, single adult, career, marriage, beginning to have children, I want to give you quickly three things. There are three postures we must assume to truly succeed with God. Uh, We take this message now and we bring it into a practical thing of what is God saying in this? How does this lead us to Jesus? Where is the connection in this mosaic series now as we journey through the Bible and we see Jesus on every page? How does this connect to our hearts? First, three postures we must assume to truly succeed with God. First is surrender. The man who appears to Joshua in chapter 5 makes clear that he came not as someone to assist Joshua but as the general to command Joshua. This begs the question, how do we see God in our lives? I would ask you to begin to really take this message to heart, begin to dial in hard, because I believe God is going to give some clear direction, some marching orders to your life today. Many of you are going to receive something by the Holy Spirit today, and you're a walk with the Lord and your obedience in your life. This is an important point. How do we see God in our lives? It's an important question to ask because most of us tend to relate to God like our co-pilot or our helper. But he came as the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't have the Jesus or the Christ part of him if we do not have him as Lord too. If you invited me to your house and I rang the doorbell and you said, come in, Tim, stay out, Bowman, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm all Tim, I'm all Bowman. People say I want a a loving and helpful Jesus, a save me and take me to heaven Jesus, but not Lord Jesus or commanding Jesus or holy Jesus. So... The point is, we either have the Lord Jesus Christ, or we do not have any part of him. Achan probably said, this is not hurting anybody. How often do we justify our lack of obedience with that excuse? Well, my decision's really not hurting anybody. Have you ever pulled that one? Have you ever, have you ever made that excuse? Let me ask, what does this Achan kind of compromise look like in your life? What, what are the areas or the area in your life that it's difficult for you to trust God? And you have a tendency in that area to take matters into your own hands. 
Many struggle to trust God in their dating or their marriage relationships. Some cannot surrender their sexuality to God or do things on his timetable. Or, God, I will give you my time, my service, my finances when things are going better. You might as well say, my name is Achan. Isn't that quite the name, Achan? His name was Achan because he was Achan. Lordship is one of these words that must be total for it to have any meaning at all. If I said to Kathy, Kathy, I'm going to be your husband all the time except one evening per week, would that be okay? See, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus does not come to be a part of our lives. I want to tell you, he comes to take over. God had a better plan for Joshua, but it started with surrender. He's got a better plan for us, and it starts with surrender. The three postures, one is surrender. The second one I want to talk about to truly succeed with God is courage. What derails obedience is usually fear or a lack of courage. Put yourself in the place of an Israelite warrior. You're expecting to fight, but God just tells them to march. And in this story, God doesn't really tell them why. He, he doesn't explain it all out. He just says, this is what I want you to do. And while you're marching, nothing happens. It doesn't say the bricks fell gradually. Things begin to crack. Things begin to shake. It doesn't say anything happens. You know, sometimes when we're walking in obedience to the Lord, there's a season when we're trusting God. It's by faith because nothing is seeming to happen. I don't know about you, but my flesh needs a little progress once in a while to keep me motivated. Imagine these men going home at night and a guy's wife asking him, how was your day? He says, well... We just walked around. Then she says on the second day, so honey, how's the battle going? Did you kill a bad guy today? Well, we just walked around again. Why is God doing it this way? Because what he wanted to do through them was not as important as what he wanted to do in them. God was preparing these people for the promise they were about to receive. You know, I just sense that that speaks to us right now in our lives. That what's going on right now, if we could go past the physical, past the situation, past the economical, and say, God, do we really believe you have this? That you're our Lord? You're our commander-in-chief? And Lord... We need to posture our questions in our prayer life to say, God, it's not really about what, what, you're, what, you, what I need you to do for me. is what, what are you wanting to do in me? What are you wanting to accomplish in me? Because, Lord, we know the, the, end, the end game here is you're preparing your people for your return. 
What are you saying in my life, in my marriage, in my home, in my children? Some of you are so dissatisfied, even before the virus, you've been so dissatisfied, always trying to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next piece or the next season of your life or or get here or get there. And and I want to tell you that if you don't get this settled in your spirit right where you are right now, that no season coming up is ever going to get you where you want to go. There comes a day of reckoning where we have to really understand that God is God right now, right where we are. He has us. He's in charge. He's got this. We just need to march. We have to learn to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. Because outcome is God's responsibility. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. As they were walking, nothing may have been happening to the walls, but something was happening on the inside of them. You see, God does not really need us to accomplish anything for him. He spoke the world into existence. He probably could figure out how to make it without us. He does not need my preaching ability. He can speak through a donkey. What we do for God is not nearly as important as who we become in him. A great danger is if we quit in the process. What if they'd stopped on day six? I think about myself, would I have kept going day two, day three? Day four, nothing's happening. Day five, nothing. When would I have said, that's enough? Courage is the ability to keep going even when we can't see results because we know God is faithful. Endurance is what courage looks like over the long haul. Let me say that again. Endurance is what courage looks like over the long haul. What derails many of us in obedience is a lack of courage. So let me ask you, is fear keeping you from obedience? Maybe there's a relationship you know you need to end, but you're scared about what life might look like if you did. Maybe you need to press through and keep a relationship and hang on and have the difficult talk and trust the Lord and not throw away a relationship. Maybe it's coming clean with a sin Maybe it's bringing your sexuality in line with God's plan. Maybe it's obeying God in your finances and giving to him off the top or sharing the gospel with somebody that God's placed on your heart and you've avoided it and it's time. For some of you ladies, maybe it's quitting the job and staying home with your children. For other ladies, maybe it's going back to work but you're afraid of something. We just need to obey the Lord and not live in fear. Maybe when we get through this virus, it's time to quit a job or start a business. But you're scared because this is all you've known. Maybe you need to actually go by the ring and get down on one knee and you need to ask the question. You've been dating her for years and you know she's the one and she knows it too and now it's become awkward. Get your backbone out of your mama's purse and ask her. I know that when we pursue godly obedience, fear will try to rise up. 
But the most repeated command in the Bible, do you know what the most repeated command in the Bible is? Fear not. It's repeated in the Bible 366 times, once for each day of the year, including leap year. Fear not. All right, my last point. Y'all doing pretty good. You're hanging in there with me? <laughs> I love you all. I can imagine you all sitting here in the seats with me this morning, and some of you amen and me, and some of you owe me and me. Here we go. The posture we must assume to truly succeed with God, surrender, courage, and third, the faith to wait. It's that time in our lives when we can't see what God is doing, a physical problem, singleness, the loss of a job, getting passed over for a promotion, infertility, being a student or an intern, when you want to be out doing something significant, praying for a loved one to come to faith. Joshua leads them through many conquests, and then he ends the book this way as we go all the way to Joshua chapter 24, starting at verse 1. Here's how the book ends. Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. Officers, So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and they worshiped other gods. And he closes it like this as we jump to verse 14. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then Joshua makes this famous statement, his own pre-memorial text to his own funeral. And Joshua says this, But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. And verse 19 says this, Then Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Talk about a dud ending. Imagine that at the ESPN halftime report. We're down by 10, folks. They're bigger, they're faster, the stronger, which is why we're going to lose for sure. It'll all be over in 20 minutes, and we'll put a big L by this game. We lost. Oh, what a great halftime report that would be. That's how Joshua ends. Joshua, like Moses, has been unable to lead the people to be courageous. And every book in the Old Testament ends like this. But thankfully, another Joshua would come and he would give his people the courage to obey because this Joshua would show us in better ways that he was fighting for us. Pastor Jeff, will you get ready? We're going to end with a song that really, I believe, helps us as we come to a time of prayer and looking inside of what God is saying, the city that stood in our way was not Jericho. It was the city of our sin and the curse of death. 
And Jesus, by the way, which is simply Greek for Joshua, said, don't lift a finger to take it down. There's nothing you can do, Jesus says. You can't take the wall of sin and separation down. I'll do it for you. And he went to the cross, and when he died, he shouted. And he knocked down not walls of brick and mortar, but Jesus, when he cried and shouted out loud, it is finished. The wall of separation between us and God came down. And now, because of Jesus, we have access into the very throne, the very heart of God. He said, just watch, believe, and shout in worship. Why is worship, our life of worship, not just a song, but yes, a song, but so much more than that, so important, because it's our shout to the Lord. When we become Christians, we begin to shout, I believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ, who paid for my sins. I believe in who you are. I believe that you're the great commander-in-chief. This belief in him becomes a continuous shout for the, for the saved, the born of his spirit. And since Jesus won this battle for us, he'll give us the power to live a victorious Christian life. If God knocked down the biggest fortified city for Israel, he can knock down whatever you're facing. What is our part? Surrender to Him. Have the courage to obey when we don't know how it'll work out. And have the faith to wait on Him while He's working in us. I love you all. We're going to come back and pray. Sing this song with Pastor Jeff or let it minister to you. Let these words minister to your heart this morning. Just sense the Lord speaking to many hearts right now. Many things that the Lord is challenging you, challenging us with as a church body. Maybe you're listening and you've tried to make serving the Lord way too hard. Listen, if we had to serve the Lord in our strength, it's not only too hard, it's impossible. It just takes surrender. Don't take fancy prayers. It takes a posture. The Lord's working in your heart. Maybe you couldn't explain it in words like I do, but you sense something going on inside the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, the commander-in-chief of your life. He doesn't force himself on you. But I'm telling you, the life he's planned is far greater than anything we could come up with. What do I do? Repent. Some of you have not been walking in obedience in some little things while you're wanting big things for your life. The Lord spoke to me many years ago when I began in ministry and he said, Tim, if you'll be available to me in the little things that you don't really have to pray about, you know what I expect. If you'll be faithful in the little things, I'll take care 
of my plans that I have for you. In the right timing, I'll unfold those things and I'll make it where you won't miss it if you'll just be faithful in some of the basics. You know, that's, that's really the story of Joshua. God is saying to those children crossing that Jordan River, be faithful in the basics. My basketball coach, I didn't play much, but I played a little bit, always started with the basics. Layups, passing, dribbling. And I've learned that guys that are some of the greatest ball players in the world, when they warm up, they start back with the basics. Maybe right now you need to go back to the basics in your walk with the Lord and be faithful in the little things. Have some courage. Be, be able to wait on the Lord and obey no matter what anyone else is doing. Be obedient to God's plan for your life and watch himself. Watch, watch the way he lifts you up. We posture ourselves low and he raises us up. I love you all. I would encourage you to be careful with your decision-making regarding this virus. There's many things going on, many things being said we should or shouldn't do or how we should respond to, to those that are over us or the government or this or that or what should we do or not do or what. Hey, wait on the Lord. Don't make outland, outlandish statements. Trust in the Lord. Trust in those that God has placed in and over your life and let's walk through this together being faithful and let's not miss what the Lord's doing in our hearts because we're anxious I love you all Lord thank you for this time together may we receive what we need from the Lord today trust and obey in Jesus name Amen God bless you see you soon <laughs>